This is LBC with Nick Abbott. Call 0345 6060 973. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. And here we check in with Simon Marks, LBC's US correspondent, talking to us live from Washington, D.C. Hello, Simon. Evening, Nick. Uh, Another interesting week, to say the least. Uh, Joe Biden heads to Poland. What does he hope to achieve there? Well, he's going to be marking, of course, the imminent uh, first anniversary of the war uh, by Russia in Ukraine. Uh, And I think we can expect from Joe Biden in Warsaw an absolutely full-throated expression uh, of his determination to continue uh, standing by uh, President Volodymyr Zelensky and providing his forces uh, with continued amounts uh, of lethal weaponry uh, as U.S. intelligence uh, predicts that uh, the Russians are preparing for a massive spring offensive as soon as the winter comes to uh, an end in Ukraine. You'll remember that, that the last time Joe Biden was in Warsaw, it was 11 months ago. The war was just one month old and he rather surprised even some members of his own White House staff by uh, those extemporized remarks at the end of his speech in the Polish capital, uh, in which he said, for God's sake of Vladimir Putin, this man cannot continue in power, uh, which led some observers to argue that Joe Biden was calling for regime change in Russia. The White House scrambled to insist that that was not the case. Well, 11 months on, Vladimir Putin, of course, very much remains in power in Russia. There is no sign of any imminent uprising to oust him from within his inner circle. Uh, Western uh, military uh, officials believe that the Russians have lost as many as 200,000 members of their military forces, including, of course, conscripts that have been sent uh, to Russia following that partial call-up by Vladimir Putin a few months ago. And the difficulty in all of this for Joe Biden is that there's no end to any of this in sight. So we're at the end of a weekend in which uh, his his Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, uh, after a very frosty meeting uh, with China's top diplomat, Wang Yi, on the uh, fringes of the Munich Security Conference, is saying that the United States now believes that China is preparing to send lethal weaponry to Russia, uh, that he's warned the Chinese of the serious consequences of them doing that. Uh, the Chinese deny that that's part of their plan. But the U.S. has been warning throughout the last year that it doesn't want to see China joining forces with Russia in any meaningful way, providing them with any kind of lethal support to continue prosecuting the war in in Ukraine. But, you know, were that to happen, the already very chilly relationship between Washington and Beijing will get even more tense and even colder and the Russians will have the capacity to continue uh, slogging away in Ukraine uh, for potentially many, many months to come. So uh, all of this is, uh, you know, complex for President Biden. I mean, he, like everybody else, wants the war uh, to end, but he wants the war to end because uh, he knows that it's going to be increasingly difficult politically for him here in Washington to continue writing blank checks for Volodymyr Zelensky to cash 
particularly now that the Republicans control uh, the House of Representatives. You know, he's not going to secure Republican support for just an absolutely bottomless pit in terms of military aid uh, to Ukraine. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in Warsaw and interesting too to see whether the rumours that are sweeping town here uh, that President Biden might uh, make an unannounced trip to Ukraine, potentially to meet Volodymyr Zelensky in Kiev, whether that uh, actually takes place. Remember that Joe Biden hasn't been to Kiev since the war began, uh, unlike now successive uh, British prime ministers, a host of other European uh, leaders, uh, and even figures from within President Biden's own administration. Uh, There is no question that with Joe Biden preparing, we think, to announce that he's going to seek a second term in the Oval Office, uh, his political advisers would love to see imagery uh, of Joe Biden walking through the streets of the Ukrainian capital, flanked by President Volodymyr Zelensky. Let's see if that might happen in the days ahead. Yes, if he does go there, of course, then he's going to be hearing much more loudly the uh, the pleading by Zelensky for ever more expensive bits of military kit, up to and including, of course, probably the most expensive parts of all, fast jet fighter planes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Zelensky wants the F-16 fighter jets. uh, And so far, uh, the Biden administration uh, has said, no, you can't have them because not least they they fear that the Russians would uh, interpret that as a considerable widening of the conflict that would essentially draw America potentially uh, and NATO into direct conflict with the Russians. But, you know, President Zelensky over the course of the last year has proved himself absolutely masterful at getting the Biden administration and governments throughout Europe to agree to do things that uh, for weeks and months they insist they're not going to do. I mean, we saw this standoff recently over uh, battle tanks for Ukraine with Olaf Scholz of Germany, uh, who's actually due to visit uh, Washington, D.C. in a few days' time uh, to see President Biden at the White House, uh, saying that he wouldn't send his leopard battle tanks to Ukraine unless the Americans agreed to send their M1 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. Ukraine. Uh, President Biden said, no, we're not going to send the M1 Abrams tanks. They're far too sophisticated. They're far too powerful. Uh, There's too much of a risk that they'll be used to launch attacks on Russian territory. And also, we don't know that we can train the Ukrainian forces to use them in time. Uh, Zelensky pushed and pushed and pushed. And at the end of the day, uh, the deal was done. The Leopard tanks from Germany are going in. So eventually, will the M1 Abrams tanks go in? So Zelensky now says he wants F-16 fighter jets. Biden says, no, he can't have them. Uh, But, you know, the deeper the conflict becomes, particularly as that Russian spring offensive gets underway, the more possible it is that we will maybe see some wiggle room on that Mm -hmm. uh, from the Biden administration, which, Nick, puts them in a slightly difficult position here. Because on the one hand, they are arming Ukrainian armed forces to the teeth, and they defend that, of course, by saying they're defending uh, a democratic nation whose sovereignty has come under attack. But on the other hand, 
they're issuing these dark warnings in the direction of Beijing, saying, whatever you do, don't you dare provide any lethal weaponry to Russian forces. Uh, and the Chinese, of course, say, well, hang on a second, there's a bit of a double standard going on here because you guys are supplying weaponry by the boatload to the Ukrainians. Uh, so where on earth do you find the, the sort of moral argument uh, that nobody else must get involved in any way in this conflict? So uh, there's that uh, tension that is adding to the already very, very frosty relationship between Washington and Beijing. Yes. Now, American politics, the next election race looks like it's going to be, um, at least in part, between uh, the current incumbent, Joe Biden, and the previous uh, chap in charge, Donald Trump, both of whom are getting on a bit. And a representative called Nikki Haley this week called for, and she, I'm sure she had uh, Joe Biden in mind, she called for mandatory mental competency tests for politicians over the age of 75. Now, considering that a sixth of the U.S. Senate is over 75 <laughs> years old, how did that go down? Yeah, I mean, it's a curious argument to be advancing, particularly as she sought to dance around the issue of whether in unveiling that desire for cognitive tests, she was actually targeting former President Donald Trump, who, you know, clearly is going to be a pretty major uh, challenger for the Republican presidential nomination and someone that Nikki Haley will need to try and find a way of overcoming if she indeed is to become uh, the party's presidential nominee. She, by the way, is the former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations in the Trump administration. She uniquely actually left the Trump administration without falling out with the former president. She's also a former governor of South Carolina, so that's very much her political base. She insists that, no, 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 she wasn't talking about any individual person, but of course, Joe Biden's performance in office has been so abysmal that it's important for these cognitive tests to take place. Uh, now, as you observe, we've got a substantial number of octogenarians. Um, and in one case, I think even by the time he finishes his term in the Senate, uh, we will have a nonagenarian uh, sitting in the United States Senate. There are also, of course, a substantial number of older American voters, many of whom hew to the Republican Party. So this idea that people should be taking cognitive tests based purely on their age um, is potentially a controversial one that Nikki Haley is advancing, but certainly one that uh, is designed ostensibly to attack Joe Biden, but on the backside is also having a bit of a go at Donald Trump as well. Of course, uh, he, I don't know if you know this, Nick, but he, he passed a cognitive test. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, the highest uh, results in history. Uh, ever, yeah, absolutely, because you get extra points for <laughs> extra getting the points answers for right. getting it in the right order. <laughs> That's right. Let's talk about an ex-president, Jimmy Carter, has entered yes. hospice care. There, there was a story, that somebody emailed me this today, a chap called Rob DeRocca, who's, uh, who was the executive director of a, the Habitat for Humanity mm. project. Now, that's a non-profit organization that helps local communities around the world to improve the place in which they live. And that was a, a, a nascent organization when the former president... Carter, Jimmy Carter, expressed an interest, but he hadn't been involved in any way. And learning that the uh, ex-president, Jimmy Carter, was going to New York for an unrelated event, this chap, Rob DeRocca, 
asked if he thought that Carter would want to see an abandoned six-story building that they were attempting to renovate in the middle of a drug-infested neighbourhood in New York, which at the time had the highest homicide rate in the city. Now, Carter said yes, climbed up six floors on a rickety wooden staircase that had been put together by volunteers the day before because drug addicts had removed the marble slats in the original suit, uh, staircase. He surveyed this... Uh, catastrophic scene in front of him, saw an elderly woman cooking a breakfast over an open fire in the building, and as he was getting into the car with the Secret Service, uh, this uh, chap said, is there any way um, that you can... No, uh, rather, Carter said, if there's any way I can help, just let me know. And this chap, who was the executive director of this uh, organisation, said, well, maybe you could uh, send us some carpenters from your church to help out. And the next day he was informed that not only was Jimmy Carter going to send some carpenters, but he was going to be one of the carpenters. And he's done it for for decades now. I mean, he has been... Uh, Habitat for Humanity is absolutely one of Jimmy Carter's major grand causes. And he's constantly on building sites all over the country and all over the world. And he doesn't just show up and, you know, do it for five minutes in front of the cameras. He's there day after day after day helping that organisation, not just put itself on the map, as you, uh, as you indicated there, but actually helping them physically build build homes for people that don't have them um and you know this news that jimmy carter has now entered home hospice care is going not to receive any further medical interventions i mean he's 98 years old uh i, I believe i'm right in saying that no other uh, occupant of the presidency has ever lived longer than that he's the oldest living former president of the united states um, and I think that, you know, the events that clearly lie ahead are going to lead to uh, enormous sorrow and anguish among people who don't necessarily think that Jimmy Carter was the greatest president of the United States ever. He was a one-termer. He was completely outplayed by Ronald Reagan in the 1980 presidential election over the fate of the Iran hostages. Remember that they were uh, released uh, in the moments after Ronald Reagan became president of the United States from the U.S. Embassy uh, in Iran, rather than being being released on Jimmy Carter's watch. He was also buffeted by uh, economic vicissitudes. It was a much simpler time. Uh, listeners of a certain age may remember Jimmy Carter in the middle of an energy crisis uh, in the late 70s, making an appearance on television from the White House in which he was wearing uh, a cardigan, and he urged Americans all over the country uh, to start putting on warmer clothing and turn the heating down. Um, so, you know, in many ways, there are millions of people that won't necessarily look back on him as having been one of the great presidents of, of all time. Uh, he was ousted by the voters after one term in office, but he's the real deal in terms of absolutely standing up for the issues uh, that he cares about and the organizations that he's passionate about. He's built this incredible operation in Atlanta, the Carter Center, which has promoted democracy and helped monitor uh, elections uh, all over the world for decades now. Uh, he has been teaching Bible school in his hometown of Plains, Georgia, uh, until very recently indeed. He's been married to former First Lady Rosalind Carter for for longer than 75 years 
And uh, I think there's no question that this is a nation that is that is in, in large measure, certainly on the Democratic Party side of the aisle, poised to pay tribute to him. It's going to be interesting to see in a social media driven age uh, exactly how his reputation is viewed uh, as the inevitability of events uh, advances. Uh, but he's a, he's, he's a very, very interesting historical figure and interesting as much for what he's done in the post-presidency, very long post-presidency, of course, since 1980, as he did in the Oval Office itself. Yes, he seems to be have been one of the good guys. And uh, everything that you just said, <laughs> I was just totting them up as you were uh, listing his qualities. And it seems to be the exact opposite yes. in every regard than Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's true. I mean, I mean, Jimmy Carter, of course, came from nowhere. Remember that in the 1976 election, his his campaign posters literally said, I'm Jimmy Carter. I'm a peanut farmer from Georgia. I mean, he was he was very, very little known on the national stage when he first uh, secured the Democratic Party's presidential nomination. I, I tell you something that is absolutely worth watching if you haven't seen it. There is a fantastic documentary called Jimmy Carter. Carter, rock and roll president. And it's all about the way in which he not only forged relationships with musicians, but for the first time leveraged those relationships to help him on the campaign trail in that 1976 presidential election. So he had a very close relationship with the Allman brothers. He had a very close relationship with Bob Dylan, uh, with Willie Nelson. They all appear in uh, the documentary uh, talking about their time, playing at various events on the campaign trail with Jimmy Carter, and then subsequently playing at the White House because Jimmy Carter would open the doors of the White House and have these, these concerts, country music concerts sometimes, rock and roll concerts at other times on the lawn of the White House and this fusing together of popular music with politics was something that America had never seen before and then Republican candidates started trying to emulate it and the documentary demonstrates the extent to which people like Richard Nixon could never uh, <laughs> sorry Ronald Reagan could never quite bring that off mm. you know it was never possible for them to emulate what Carter had done because he truly admired these musicians and he was truly fans of them yeah. uh, it's, uh, a uh, fast, it's a great watch fast forward to today when artists are actively requesting <laughs> yes. That politicians <laughs> that don't Donald use Trump their stops. music. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> precisely. What's the name of that film again? It's called Jimmy Carter, Rock and Roll President. It's fantastic. I will look it up. You'll love it. Always good to talk to you, Simon. Thanks <laughs> Cheers, very Nick. much for that. Simon Marks, LBC's US correspondent, talking to us live from Washington, D.C.